0: Amen. I like that last line. It says until, <clears throat> excuse me, until every heart confesses Christ as Lord. And I know sometimes, like when you hear that line, you kind of think of like unbelievers. If there's unbelievers in our midst, that they would come to confess Christ as Lord. But, but really, um, it's even us. You know, as we. As um, we hear the word, as we hear the preaching of the word, that just we would continue to come and make Christ the Lord in our hearts, you know, because that's a constant battle that we have is like, are we going to be the Lord or are we going to let Him be the Lord? And so, um, and that even goes with this passage today. So, um, um, he's, he's, he's asking us to abide in Him. And we could, we could choose not to, um, but if we abide in him, then we can confess that He is our Lord. Um, but I want to start out this morning by saying "Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there today. And, um, and I wanted to just share a few quotes before we dive into the message today. These are some um, Father's Day quotes. Um, "Sometimes the poorest man leaves his children their richest inheritance." This is by a Ruth Wrinkle. Don't know who that is. Um, Another one. I talk and talk and talk, and I haven't taught people in 50 years what my father taught by example in one week. Mario Cuomo. He didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. Clarence Buddington Kelland. I don't know who that is, but I think that if you use like three names in your name, then you can get a quote named after you. A good father is one of the most unsung, unpraised, unnoticed, and yet one of the most valuable assets in our society, Billy Graham. None of you can ever be proud enough of being the child of such a father, capital father, who has not his equal in this world, so great, so good, so faultless. Try all of you to follow in his footsteps and don't be discouraged. For to be really in everything like him, none of you, I am sure, will ever be. Try therefore to be like him in some points and you will have acquired a great deal. Queen Victoria of England. And the last one. A father carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. author unknown. I didn't make that one up. Um, So I know this day means different things to each of us, and sometimes this day can even be hard if we grew up in certain circumstances where our fathers maybe abandoned us, like myself, or were perhaps distant and not engaged. But one thing is for sure, and I shared this verse last week, and this is just a great verse from 2 Timothy says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his. Regardless of your upbringing, if you have the stamp on you that says mine, then you have a father who deeply cares for you and loves you beyond measure. And that's the father that we just can be grateful for. If everyone in this room has God as our father, then we can be thankful for that. So let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you again for bringing us here this morning and just pray that you would just answer the words that we prayed in this song, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear and you would plant your word in us to bear fruit. And Lord, that you would just cause your your word, Lord, um, to, to have its way in our lives, God, um, to abide in us. And uh, I just thank you, Father, for, um, for what you have to share with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, just to summarize last week, this message from the uh, first several verses in John 15, and I, I think most of you all were here, so. Um, That's good. Um, Some might have been in the nursery. uh, So we talked about the first uh, seven or so verses or eight verses of John 15. And we talked about abiding in the Father and bearing fruit. And so the key points were this. One, the Father is glorified when we, the branches, bear fruit. Okay. Two, fruit are the things that only God can produce in and through us. Three, we cannot bear fruit unless we abide in him, the vine. Fourth, we abide in him and he in us by spending time with Christ through his living words in scripture. And five, God loves to hear prayers in the context of abiding in him and bearing fruit. These are prayers he is highly inclined to say an emphatic yes to. And I know I've said this many times, and you guys are probably tired of hearing it. Every time I'm up here, I'm just talking about how excited I am. The more we go through the Book of John, but I'm more excited again today as we go through the second half of John 15. Um, and um, because in going through the second half of the book, um, I, I had to go over to 1 John to get kind of like see how how Jesus's words and what John was writing here tied in with what John was writing. Over there, and how he basically took what Jesus was saying and probably expounded more on it in First John, and uh, <clears throat> and passed those things on to future disciples. So um, I will just um, we'd, let's just read this together, uh, John fifteen eight, and um, we're going to read through sixteen four. Okay, okay. and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. "'Remember the word that I said to you, "'A servant is not greater than his master. "'If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. "'If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. "'But all these things they will do to you "'on account of my name, "'because they do not know him who sent me. "'If I had not come and spoken to them, "'they would not have been guilty of sin, "'but now they have no excuse for their sin. "'Whoever hates me hates my father also.' We gain understanding of what it meant to abide in Jesus and him to abide in us. And as we go forward in these first few verses here, are you thinking, oh no, now he's bringing the words obey and commandments into this relationship. I know sometimes when we hear those words, we start to get, you know, uncomfortable feeling because we're just like, that just doesn't go with my, you know, American thing. You know, I... I'm cut out to, to do my own thing here, Lord, and, um, and I want to do whatever I want to do, but these words like obey and commandments, they just kind of like box me in. Um, but um, we really need to pray that God works a humble attitude in us towards Him, because in fact, if our attitude is one of non-submissiveness to the Father, then we will never be abiding in Christ or His love, because it all goes together. And I'm going to explain this. Um, so now Jesus begins this section with a new phrase, abide in my love. And then he says, if you keep my commandments, <clears throat> you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, if you just think about that, you know, I, I, my first reaction is, really, if we keep your commandments, we will abide in your love. How so? How does that work? What, what does that mean? I had been meditating on this a long time this week and praying through it, uh, when finally yesterday, I was reading in First John to help understand the relationship between abiding and loving and obeying His commandments, when all of a sudden, I had one of these moments: "I see what you did there, God." So we're going to go over to 1 John. If you'll turn with me to 1 John, we're going to um, look at this for a little bit because this really really is where um, John explains what's going on here. And we're going to look at several verses in 1 John, but we'll just start with this, this one here. And you'll see how this all ties together. Everything in John 15, John goes into great detail in 1 John. Okay, so just go to 1 John five first. <clears throat> 1 John 5, 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So let's pretend I'm a math teacher for a minute. I don't know, are there any, anyone teach, teach math? Do you teach math, Cassandra? Okay so, okay, so if you're a math teacher, let's say I'm a math teacher, and I give my students a word problem, I say, put the following phrase into a mathematical expression. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. What would that look like? It would, to, me, to me, the answer would be love of God equals keeping his commandments. Okay, that would be the mathematical expression of this verse. So just like last week, Jesus got very practical with the disciples and explained that the abiding relationship took place by them giving place for his living words to abide in them. And that makes sense because why Jesus is, he is the living word. Both in the flesh, in the, spirit, in the incarnate form, in spirit form, and through his actual words, like Peter said, and we sang in this song, um, you have the words of life. So Jesus is the living words, and that's how we abide in him, by his living words abiding in us. And he made it very practical when he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Um, and Jesus again is very practical here, and the connection he makes between abiding in the love of God and keeping His commandments is really quite remarkable to me. And um, when I had this 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 thought yesterday, to um, so track with me here, um, so God is love. So by His very nature, everything He does is loving. Everything He does. There's there's nothing he does that's unloving. Therefore, everything he commanded Jesus to do and everything he commands us to do is loving. Everything. Therefore, if we follow through in doing the things he commands us, we are 100% abiding in his love because we are walking in the perfect love of God. If we don't do what he commands, in essence, we are being unloving people from God's viewpoint, we are not walking in love, we are not abiding in love and and when I see, saw this connection that the love of God is keeping his commandments, I think, I think it just it just really raised a level in my mind of what it means to abide in, in love, because I think so often we'll take God's commandments somewhat flippantly like well, I know you might be telling me to do this, but I don't really feel like it, or I'm not going to do it. Or, but if we understand that that is the most loving thing we can do, that is what he's, he's asking us to do it because it's loving. It, it, if he's asking us to do something towards a person, or towards the world, or towards anything, it's because it is the most loving thing that we can do. But oftentimes we're just, no, I don't feel like it. And in essence, we might be thinking like it's no big deal, but really in God's eyes, it's, it's unloving because we're not, because his, his commandments are perfect. And everything He's asking us to do is loving, it's love. So he goes on in John 15 to reiterate a command he gave in John 13, which was to love one another as I have loved you. So with this understanding that when we obey his commandments, including to love one another as he loved us, we are abiding in his love. Um, Now let's look at some of these other verses in 1 John and look how they all tie together. Okay, so if you switch, come back to 1 John 2. We're just going to go through several verses here and see how they all tie together. 1 John 2, 6. Well, actually, let's start in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly... The love of God is perfected. That's just exactly what I'm I'm trying to say. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. And how did he walk? He obeyed the Father's commandments. He loved others in this manner. His love was costly, right? Right? He said, Love like I do. I gave my life for my friends. His love was caring, it was deeply caring. You can see that. It was conspicuous. Um, you, his, his love was manifested to where others could see it. In fact, he, he asked us to love one another so that the world may know. So he's not talking about some love that's like, you know, hidden. It was committed, it was long term. He loved them to the end. Um, 1 John 2.10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. I'm kind of focusing on the word abide here, if you, in case I didn't tell you. 1 John 2.24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. What did they hear? The words of Jesus through the apostles. So that again just confirms John 15, that um, letting the words of Jesus abide in them. Then 1 John 3:6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. That makes sense. If we are abiding in Him, we are keeping His commandments. And if we're keeping His commandments, then we're not sinning. Um, okay, 1 John three seventeen. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Well, if you remember, one of Jesus' commands were, love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you probably, if you have needs, you would want them to be met. So if you're loving your neighbor as yourself, you will meet your brother's needs. 1 John three twenty four, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given. And I'm going to read now a fairly lengthy passage from John, 1 John 4, 7 through the end that I think really brings it all together. So please follow with me in 1 John 4, 7. So you can just see how they all tie together, right? He's talking about abiding in him and him abiding in us, abiding in love is tied to obeying his commandments, and one of his commandments is that we love one another, and it all ties together. and um I hope that I hope that you all see that. but to me it's to me that's very exciting just to just to know that I don't know, I guess I just hadn't thought about it before that like this encourages me is me to want to obey because I always sometimes struggle with like God why do I feel so unloving why do I not feel like loving you know and 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 I haven't really tied it to just obeying what He wants me to do if I obey what I want Him to what He wants me to do then I will be abiding in His love I'll be abiding in His love um, so we'll talk about that more in the discussion time as to how we can do that better, but just a minute here. <clears throat> so before we move into the next section, I just want to hit on three things back to John 15 that he says before he transitions into this uh, next part of the, the um, chapter here. Um, and I think these things that he says are should be very encouraging to us One, he talks about that the disciples are his friends and that he has made known things to them that you would not need to disclose to someone if they were just servants. What does that mean for us? I believe that he considers us friends also and that he has not only disclosed himself to us through giving us the Holy Spirit, but he chose to preserve his word for us through the compilation of the Bible. And uh, so he's basically disclosed himself completely and perfectly to us. Um, and therefore, we can consider him friend, a friend. Um, two, he says that he chose the disciples and appointed them. What does that mean for us? I believe that translates to us as well. And if we just consider what that means, that he chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, then that is something that we should be excited about. Um, I, I, I just I don't know that we think about this enough. I don't I don't know that we I, I just think about this this week. I, I don't know that like I wake up every day just thinking that God you chose me and appointed me to go and bear fruit. And, and I think that that's something that we just need to we need to refresh our minds with because that that's exciting. I mean it, 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 there, there's a purpose in our lives. it's more than just, wake up and, and do the run of the mill and, and run on the treadmill every day of, of, of life. And, and so this is, this is exciting. It's like something that we need to write on our mirror, you know, when we get up in the morning. We are chosen and appointed to go and bear fruit. Um, because what does he, that begs the question, what does he want to accomplish through your life for his glory? And it's to make an eternal impact. And um, so that's that's thrilling. I just, I just needed to be reminded of that. And I need to remind myself of that more and more. And then thirdly, he says that these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what does that mean for us? And I believe that bearing fruit in and through our lives brings glory to God, but brings great joy to us. And I think of the verse again in 1 John, since I was spending time there this week, where he says, um, well, actually, this is in 3 John, but he says, remember how uh, how he says uh, that he had no greater joy than to hear of his children walking in the truth. And these were no doubt children that were the result of spiritual fruit that God had produced through his life. So John had experienced God using him to produce fruit through his life, and it gave him great joy. And I believe that we'll experience the same and this is why Jesus said, I'm writing these things to you. I'm writing these things to you so that my joy will be, you'll be able to experience my joy in you. So I'm going to transition to the second part of this this uh, chapter. You'll probably have a, a heading in your Bible where it says something. Mine says the hatred of the world. But um, <clears throat> I like to follow my alma mater's football team and, and read stories about their coach. Um who I think um, beat, um, beat Rick's football team the last couple times they've played. Just want to get that out there. Oh. <coughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I probably shouldn't put down the audience right when I'm preaching. No, not <laughs> Oh, sorry. Um, anyway, I read a story of one time where uh, he intentionally tries to prepare the team for adverse situations. And he constantly reminds them that in games, there will be times that they will face adversity. And I can't remember the occasion, but there was this, a big game and I remember reading the story and something happened where a star player went down and, uh, and someone had to step up and, and fill that guy's shoes and get the job done. And I remember hearing the player who stepped up, interviewed after the game, and he said that the coach always reminds us that there will be a time where we will face adversity. So we all have to be ready for when that time comes. And I was ready. And um, so when we go here into verse 18, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. What Jesus is doing here in, in my understanding is he must prepare them for adversity. And and I just think it's neat that you know as Jesus we've talked about we started with John, 13, and uh, where John where where Jesus is giving kind of his last words to the disciples before he's going to leave them, and and he doesn't fail to prepare them for adversity, and um, he 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 gives them a reality check that they must expect adversity, and if you look at what he's saying here, I mean it's it is um, it's to the point. He doesn't mince words. Uh, and I think it's hard. Um, sometimes it's hard for us to put ourselves in, in these shoes to hear. You know, we, we read these words and about, you know, people will hate you and um, they're going to put you out of the synagogues and they're even going to kill you. And, you know, we live in America, so we're just like, yeah, hmm, Okay. But that doesn't just—it just doesn't resonate with us, you know. And I think I, I'm not sure that it resonated with them. But they know, they were hanging around out with Jesus, and they definitely experienced some people um, giving some harsh criticism to him while they were following him. Okay, so they pro- they had a taste of it at least. Okay but I'm not sure that they fully understood what they were going to experience um, uh, in the the days ahead. And we we hardly have a taste of it uh, much. Um, But um, he wants us to realize that, that this is the natural reaction to gospel truth. And he tells us that we should not be surprised when we are hated because of the truth of Christ. Um, they hated him first and will hate us second. Um, Of course, we're not asking for persecution, and it's only because of God's plan right now that we have the freedoms we do uh, in America, but may we never not be persecuted because of our message that's watered down or our values um, end up in line with the world so that the world system would end up loving us. We don't want to shirk away from persecution due to those reasons. So we know that the world hates Jesus because it hates to be reminded of the reality of sin and judgment. Um, Let me see. I mean, what's interesting is what you see here is he talks about he came and he spoke truth to them. And if he hadn't, they wouldn't have been guilty of sin. And then he did works, and they hated him. And if he hadn't done those works, then um, they would not be guilty of sin. So they hated him because they felt guilty. They felt guilty of sin. And people don't, they they don't like to be reminded of sin and judgment. Um, It's interesting, I mean, even, I mean, I think we all know people that aren't even, believers in Christ right but like when they have a loved one pass away a lot of times they just you don't even know if they believe in God a lot of times but they'll just say like well at least they're in a better place and you kind of want to like what 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 place are you talking about or what 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 do you mean by that you know but it's just it's just a, a just words comforting words somehow to make themselves think something, that something is, there's some hope there, but you know we, we, we have a real hope. And, and and that's why we need to get the message out, because there is a real hope. And so, I mean, every time I hear that, my heart sinks because I think I need to be giving people the real hope. Obviously, when I hear someone say that after a loved one passes away, and I think that like I haven't given them the real hope, they want a hope. It kind of, well, it kind of shows that they want a hope. Um, and you'll, we'll only know that if we, if we get the message out. But um, Jesus shows us here reasons that the world will hate us in verse 19. I mean, it's going to happen. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. It's clear that the, God chose us out of the world's satanic world system. The world will hate us because we are chosen out of the world. So the world is going to hate us for that reason. Um, verse ninety-one, uh, I mean 21, But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. They'll hate us because they don't know him. They just simply don't know him. And then lastly, and I think we all are familiar with these cases too. In the case with Jesus, this is very interesting. And this is, he's prophesying two verses that David prophesied in, in, in the Psalms where he says in verse 25, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. I mean, there was really no reason that they should hate him. Um, he, didn't, he didn't do any harm to them. Um, other than, I mean, exposing their, their sinfulness. Um, <clears throat> but he didn't do any physical harm to them. Um, they hated me without a cause. And um, I, I'm sure that you all have seen situations where um, Christians have been persecuted, um, treated unfairly uh, for, for no, no cause at all. I mean, just it, it, I think this happens to will happen to us as well. I mean, I'm not. Let's set aside the Christians who get persecuted because of just their own crazy antics. Okay, that's I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're 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 just living a normal life. You're loving people. You're loving your neighbors, and and just you will just people will come against you um, without cause. And I'm sure that you've seen that happen. And you may have experienced it yourself. It's, it's, but, but this is what Jesus said is going to happen. Um, so we must understand that the persecution Jesus tells us about is not imagined. He tells us that if we are faithful, we will experience it in some manner or another. He knows that if his followers are going to be faithful and bold witnesses for Christ in a hostile environment, we're going to need some supernatural help. So what does he say? He again talks about the Helper coming. He brings it up in this passage. He brought it up in John 14, and he brings it up here. So what can the Holy Spirit do for us in the context of being witnesses for Christ in a hostile world? Um, Well, here, and I'm not going to get totally into it because um, David's going to go through John 16 next week, and he'll expound probably greatly on the Spirit's work in our lives. Okay, because John 16 really talks a lot about the Spirit's work. But right here, Jesus just reveals one thing. The Spirit will bear witness. I will send you, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So two things. One, the Spirit will bear witness. And bear witness, just, you know, I, I, I think um, someone told me one time, it's just like, whenever you hear that word, bear witness, you know, it sounds like it's a biblical word here. But it's just, it just means to testify. So, so picture like uh, someone says, hey, Andy, take the stand, okay? And do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth? So I'm going to testify to the truth, to what I've seen, heard, or know. Okay, so that just means the Spirit is proceeding from the Father. He will testify to what he has seen, heard, or knows about Jesus. That's why he's sending the Spirit, okay? And then he says the disciples will also testify to the truth about Jesus of what they have seen, heard, or know, because they actually have been first account witnesses with Jesus. So one might think, how is that going to help us? How's that going to help us in this situation of being witnesses in a hostile world? Well, um, this is what I, what I believe from my experience. Um, in my experience of coming to know Christ, um, someone physically shared the gospel with me um, that I was a sinner that I needed my sins forgiven, that Jesus died for my sins, that I could receive the gift of salvation by trusting in his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And yet something else, or I should say someone else, um, had been working in my life ahead of the time all the way up to the point of me putting my faith in Christ. And I believe that person was the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe the Holy Spirit was bearing witness to me about Jesus Christ, because there were times in my life before I came to faith in Christ that I had rejected the gospel, and I had shunned people of God. And, and I, I know of those times, and when I look back. And, um, but when the Holy Spirit chose to begin bearing witness to, of Jesus to me, um, and then working with the testimony of others— who shared the good news with me, and also were praying diligent for me as well, um, then at that point, uh, I did not reject the gospel, and I came to faith in Christ. And just to give you guys a little bit of encouragement, I think Jesus, he's got one little catchphrase in here. I mean, when I was reading this, you're just like, oh, did you catch that in there? He's talking about all this hatred and persecution and everything. But right here in the middle, at the end of verse 20, he says, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Okay, so there's a little bit of encouragement there that like, hey, not everybody's going to hate you. Okay, if there were those out there that kept my word, they're going to keep yours. So there's going to be some people, there's some people out there that are going to trust. There's some people out there that are going to follow, okay? And um, I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15. It says where Paul is saying, but thanks be to God who invariably leads us on triumphantly in Christ and who evidences through us in every place The fragrance that results from knowing Him. For to God, we are Christ's fragrance, for those who are being saved and for those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a fatal odor that brings death, but to those who are being saved, a vital scent that brings life. So, our duty is just to be faithful witnesses, to testify. About Jesus and the good news and um, and there are those out there that are being saved, that um, Jesus knows who are his, but there' are also those who are perishing. Um, uh, but we just need to be faithful witnesses for him. So Jesus said here in sixteen one, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. So you see Jesus' concern and his care and his love for the disciples. I mean, can you imagine? It's just can you imagine if he hadn't prepared them for adversity? Um, but he had care and concern, and he gave, he, he told them, I'm telling you these things to keep you from falling away, because these things are going to happen to you. So be prepared for them. Um, When the Holy Spirit did come, and you'll see what's interesting, and I think that we can take courage in this too. When you see that the Holy Spirit did come in Acts, right, how did it change those men? They had a boldness. They had a confidence. They had a commitment that was unwavering. I think way more so than they were even at this point, okay, Well, obviously way more so, right? Peter denied him, right? Just not in the next 24 hours. But the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit can do and will do for us. Um, So may, may we go forward with the Spirit's help and abide in him, abide in his love, bear much fruit, and may we consider ourselves blessed when people revile us, Persecute us and speak all kinds of evil against us, like Jesus said, on account of him. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are such a loving friend. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you that you gave us your words. You preserved them for us. Thank you that we know these truths. Thank you that we know what it means to abide in you, what it means to abide in your love. Thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, just I pray, God, that we would you would empower us to keep your commandments and to walk in your love, that your love may be perfected through us. And Lord, that we would walk in such a way that the world would know that we are your disciples. Heavenly Father, just, we need you. Just pray for your, for your help, your power, your strength. In Jesus' name, amen.